she just moved right up the block for me. And she got the hunts for me, the finest thing my hood has seen. Oh no, no, she got a man and a son though. Oh, when that's okay, cause I wait for my cue and just listen, play my position like a show star. Pick up everything, mommy hitting in no time. Hey everybody, welcome back to the hustles, John Lamara. Okay, this week we're talking to the incredibly successful mixer engineer, Rich Travali. So Rich's career is super interesting. He starts out in New York at the Hit Factory in the 80s. And he's working with tons of legends like Sting and Patti Smith. And he works really closely with Paul Simon during the Rhythm of the Saints album. I, perf- I personally like that one even better than Graceland, to be honest. So after all this, though, in the 90s, he starts to form a bond with Puff Daddy. And through this, he becomes the go-to engineer and mixer for tons of hip-hop albums for the next, like, two decades. There's Getting Jiggy With It. There's Big Papa. There's Hot In Here. There's Independent Women, Woman by uh, Destiny's Child. There's LL Cool J. There's Heavy D. There's all these people that are just making the most gigantic hip-hop anthems of the 90s and 2000s and Rich becomes our go-to guy for a lot of this. Very interesting. We don't get to talk about the hip-hop world or R&B very often on the show. And so I thought it would be fascinating to hear from Rich, this guy who starts out in one genre and becomes an expert in a completely other genre, but that's where he finds his success. I thought that would be really interesting to learn more about. He recently relocated from New York to Nashville because that's where the action is. So that's where we're talking to him from. He called me from his home in Nashville. Okay, so here's the deal. I know that your biggest success has come from hip-hop and R&B and pop music of the last 20 years or so. And I'll get to that. I want to touch on a lot of that. But I want to discuss some of your bona fides first, the early things, because my understanding is that you started working at the Hit Factory in probably the late 80s. And I don't know if you, so often I talk to people in here, like Alan Parsons was on here. And I know that when he started out, he's just a T-boy, you know, or he's like a tape op. He's fetching tea for people or whatever. Where, what were your responsibilities out of the gate when you joined the hit factory? Interesting question. When I joined the hit factory out of the gate, I was what's known as a general assistant. We were gophers. We got in there at an ungodly hour in the morning. We went through the studios. We sharpened all the pencils. We made sure there were grease pencils. We made sure that there were, you know, nice notepads. We used to polish the uh, SSL computer monitor so you could see that nicely. We literally went through and made all the rooms look nice and clean and smell nice before the clients arrived. And then as the session started happening through the day, we were doing every, I was doing everything from like running envelopes around town to picking up rental gear, to returning rental gear, to picking up lunches for people, like everything that needed to be done. That's what we did. Okay. And this is the career you wanted. Obviously that's not the part of the career you wanted, but you grew up thinking, I want to be on the, at the desk behind the scenes making music and I'm willing to go for people's lunches until I can achieve that dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was, that wasn't even a consideration. I thought that was a good deal. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is for a lot of people. Who, when you're doing this, who are you interacting with? Because I'm, I'm imagining at some point, I have no idea. Todd Rundgren is like, hey, come on in. Why don't you sit in and watch me work on this, you know, this session I'm doing and you're learning and you're what were there moments like that for you? No, absolutely not. The hit factory was run as such a tight ship. General. Now remember when you're an assistant engineer, it's a different thing. You're in the room, you're working, but I was a general at this time. You needed to be seen and not heard and hopefully not even seen. And the idea of a general being in a session was sacrilege. We did not do that. Really? Absolutely not. We delivered what needed to be delivered. We were polite and, and we got out of there. There was no producer saying, oh, come in and look at this or that or anything. Absolutely not. Not at that level. No. Sure. Okay. But it, I'm imagining, is it understood by the bosses and everyone else that this is basically an apprenticeship and that when the time is right, you want to be on that desk? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, one of the first things that you worked on that I can see from looking over that it would have made an impact to me is the Dream of Life album from Patti Smith. I'm so glad you brought that one up. That was okay. such a phenomenal experience for me. Um, I, I worked, number one, I worked with Scott Litt, who is a phenomenal producer, oh, engineer, yes. mixer. You know, he's most known for the work with REM, but he's done so much more than that. He was a wonderful guy. He was really nice to me. Um, but meeting Patty, Patty is one of the most pure artists that I've ever known in this industry. And not only did I meet and work with Patty, but her husband, Fred Smith of the MC five was alive at the time. So I knew him. I met, uh, Richard soul of the original Patty Smith group. Now this was a group of people who ultimately were decimated by AIDS. And so many of them died tragically much, much before their time. But I, I, I met Robert Maplethorpe. Oh. I, you know, I mean, like oh, these historic really? people were coming to the sessions and it was blowing my mind. I was yeah. a kid from the Jersey Shore. All of this stuff would just blew my mind. And one of the most amazing things about Patty for all of, you know, you know, her incredible intellect and her incredible, uh, you know, um, talent and her poetry and her, the way she turns into a lioness on stage. Yeah. All of that was so amazing to me, but she was also just a sweet girl. And she was from Jersey too. She was from South Jersey. I was from the Jersey shore, but we had that commonality, but that was a phenomenal experience for me working with them. Phenomenal. That's, 
That's amazing. You know, I admittedly was very, very late to the Patty Smith. I did not get it until just a few years ago, to be honest, maybe in the last five years. I finally realized how great she was. And a couple of years ago, in fact, Lenny Kay was on here and we did a, had a great conversation about her and everything else. And her son is good friends with a friend of mine. Jackson, so, right? Yes. And he- Not to interrupt so, you. I want you to finish. When I met Jackson, he was five years old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was a little kid. Yeah. Yes. He, uh, he lives on this island in Michigan or did for a while that my friend lives on. And the, anyway, they, uh, I, from everyone I talk to, it just makes it sound like she's like an angel on earth in some ways, just such a force for positivity and no creativity. Doubt. Yes. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So around the same time comes Paul Simon's rhythm of the saints album. I I actually prefer that album to Graceland. I love that album. I remember getting it for Christmas in 1990 or whenever it came out. And um, it has it's a big one for me. Tell me what it's like for you working on an album like that of all uh, of all things because it's so eclectic and it's so exotic sounding, but it's also Paul Simon. Yeah, uh, I don't even know where to start with that. That was the formative experience of my young career, working with, and not just Paul and everything that Paul brings to the table as one of the greatest American songwriters and pop artists, but I worked with Roy Halley. Roy wow. Halley was such an amazing engineer, and his body of work and the things that he did were so amazing. It was a treasure trove for me to watch him and work with him um, for, for years, for years, too. Not, you yeah. know, a little bit here and there. Yeah. I mean, for probably for over five years consistently, if Paul and Roy went in the studio, I was with them. Um, I put a studio in Paul's house on Central Park West. Uh, you know, I mean, I was really, I traveled with him. I went down to, uh, San Juan and we did remote recording down there. I went to St. Lucia with Paul. We did remote recording down there. Uh, the, the, the experience was simply mind blowing. Uh, the, the musicians we worked with, the people that he could just make a phone call and have them there the next day yeah. or a few days later from Brazil, Nana Vasconcelos, um, oh, just all these amazing players just from all yes. around the world from, you know, from Africa, the ones he knew and made the relationships with during Graceland uh -huh. and then came plus 
the American session aces, the guys like Michael Brecker. Oh. Uh, it just, I don't want to get too deep into a list of names because I'll forget somebody right. and I'll be like, oh, after the fact. But it was, uh, it, it, it yeah. was just absolutely amazing that experience. The quality of, uh, musicians that I worked with, the, the engineer that I worked with, the, the level of production was mind-blowing. So it, let me ask you this. He obviously is attached at the hip with Roy, and you are coming along for the ride, not because, because you're close to Roy and because you're really good at what you do, but I'm wondering how this relationship with Roy forms for you, because that seems to be sort of the ticket into a lot of this stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I think the way it went with Roy and I, it was pretty organic. See, oh, the thing is this, I'm not going to mince words here. Roy and Paul are both extremely demanding guys. Yeah. It's very, very hard to work with them and, and assisting them is not just the normal assistance job. I was also the tape op. So I did all the punching in and out. This was decades ago. It was when punches were destructive. So the stress that I went through on a daily level on that project was mind-blowing. But what it did for me is it made me bulletproof for later in my career. When I ended up doing like the huge hip-hop dates with 30 guys in the room, they're all having a party and screaming. Assistants used to come up to me and go, my God, Rich, I don't know how you can focus. And I was like laser beamed in because after working with Paul and Roy, that was child's right. You know what I mean? So, so they really, it was, it was like, it was like, I don't know what the analogy would be. I guess maybe like hell week for the Navy yeah, Seals. Like boot camp, and and yes. then after that, and then after that, you're just going on a Cub Scout Weeblow weekend or something like that. You know what I mean? Everything else was so easy after Paul and Roy. It was yes. hilarious. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, this, uh, you know what? Honestly, everything you're saying checks out. That's basically how I would imagine Paul Simon to be as an artist, especially yes. at that time, because he's he's riding a wave. I mean, I think you worked on the Cape Man too. And granted, granted that yes. ended up being a failure, but whether it's him or Sting, who I know you also worked with, yes, these I are did. high demand. Diva's probably the wrong word, but intense artists. Yes. who are at the top of their game and they're getting Broadway shows because of it. Tell me about working with Sting. What did you do? Working with, with Sting was phenomenal. Let me now, first of all, I have to be, you know, 100% uh, full disclosure here. When I worked with Sting, I was the assistant engineer on that project, right. but still I did recording of Sting due to, you know, uh, scheduling and who was wearing whatever I did do recording for him, but I was not the engineer on that project. I was the assistant okay. still had a lot of responsibility, but again, it was another one where, um, the music which was project phenomenal. Was this? I missed which project this was. This was an unreleased live album that we completed and it was sh for shell for a reason that was, is just beyond my pay grade. I don't know why they never put it out, but, uh, it was the uh, the Nothing Like the Sun tour, yeah. and which was a phenomenal tour. You know, obviously when it came through New York, because he was flying in in between gigs. I said they were touring around, around the U.S. to work with us on it yeah. at, at Hit Factory. But then when the tour when the tour came through New York, we all went to the show, and it was just an amazing, amazing show. The band was fantastic. Yes, and um, they had recorded the Wiltern Theater maybe a month before on uh, Mitsubishi. 
32 track digital and we were doing basically fix and mix and it didn't require too much fixing but that's what we were doing while that was going on and uh you know meeting sting and i'll tell you there might be uh, a public persona of sting being a little bit on the pretentious side it is not true sting is cool as hell he is a really nice guy um it was a pleasure to work with him his whole crew was great uh he had a manager at the time uh kim turner i i believe kim turner passed god rest his soul if that is the case that's uh, that's a rumor that i heard i don't know if it's true or not another wonderful guy it was just it was a super super classy high-end but still fun gig to be on it was really cool so on that tour he um you probably know this he recruited a young guitarist named jeffrey campbell who had never done anything before and Jeffrey wrote a book about his year touring with Sting called Do Stand So Close to Me. And it came out a year or two ago. And Jeffrey was on here to talk about the book. Oh, fantastic. I'm going to have to get that now. Thank you for telling yes. me. Fascinating book and fascinating depiction. And he says kind of what you're saying, which is that there's the public persona of Sting, which comes off really stuffy. But behind the scenes, he can be a lot softer than that. But he, it kind of sounds like he can turn it off and on. Like he, he can be sort of this intimidating authoritarian, or he can be really warm and funny and lighthearted. Uh, I, I, am at, I, I honestly, I saw mostly the warm lighthearted okay, side of him. Okay. I don't remember him ever getting upset or being a- anything other than gracious and charming in the studio, yeah. to be honest. Okay. Jeffrey. Uh, now remember though, being... I, I wasn't there for bad gigs. I wasn't True. there through the rehearsals. I wasn't there through canceled flights. So, you know, there's yeah. stuff that could have made, you know, him behave yes. in a way that he didn't behave when I was there. So, yes. so, um, this book, you know, I, I'm sure it's certainly 100% correct and honest, yes. but I didn't see that side of it. I do remember him as being quite a guitar player because he was featured in the set. They did a cover of little wing. And oh that, yes. That that's on nothing like stretched. the sun. Yes. Yeah. And it was just phenomenal, just, yes. just phenomenal playing. So, well, and Jeffrey being this, this being his first gig ever. And it happens to be with staying. I'm imagining he's on pins and needles the whole time anyway. Right. Um, right. I'm, I'm curious, Rich, why you have remained an engineer and a mixer and not so much a producer that has to have been by choice. What is it about what you do and what a producer does that makes you want to stay away from that? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. See, for so long, business was just so good as a mixer. I didn't see the need and I had so much fun. There was also the little the little gremlin for me, too, is the fact that I'm not a musician. I don't mm. play anything. I don't hear a song and I don't know what key it's in. Yeah. Um, if somebody is just microtonally out of key, I don't really hear that. And that might have just intimidated me enough to think that I couldn't do it or wouldn't necessarily be the guy to do it. Now, I think uh, in hindsight now at my age and seeing what's going on, I know that, you know, guys like Rick Rubin have never been intimidated by not being a player. And maybe I should have been more forceful, but I think that maybe I didn't go that way because my personality was a little bit more, uh, I'm a, I'm a role player on the team. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. even if I was the quarterback, I was taken, you know, they were, the plays were coming in from the sidelines and I'm here to mm-hmm. execute. You know what I mean? Yes. So I, I think, do. you know, to, to my, to my, to betterment or detriment, I 
I, I was satisfied being the guy that does the great mix or, yeah. or is able to get amazing sounding tracks on tape so that the players are, are excited and play better. You know what I yes. mean? That's where yes. I, I got, that's what I dug doing, you know, that makes sense. And, uh, I'm not, you know, I, I, uh, I'm not saying that being a producer is better than it's just, I, it seems like so many of the people I talk to have a hand in all three areas, but some of them, like I mentioned, Shelly Yakis earlier, he's one of the best engineers ever. And I don't think he's produced very much at all in his career because he's good at, at like you at what you do. You know what I mean? Right. It doesn't need right. to do anything else. Right. So, and which, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying no either, but yeah. uh, you know, it would, it would depend on what, what this, because a producer's role is very different from project to project. Yeah. So I'm not Good rejecting term. it outright. If somebody was thinking about it and then here's this little 10 minute talk, I yeah. better not call him. That's not the case. It would no. need to be something that made sense to me sure. where I felt comfortable. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, yeah. Okay. I want to ask you about a few more from the early days before we get to the fun R and B stuff. Sure. Tell me something in there is with Stevie wonder, right? Yes. Okay. Tell yes. me about Stevie. All right. Here's the thing. Stevie wonder again, another unbelievable, experience in my life and this one almost transcends just the music industry this is just meeting the man stevie wonder working with him was was magical to me what happened was he came to hit factory like a kind of like a like a last minute booking i remember it was in the summer i was down on at the beach on the jersey shore i get a call from eddie the owner of the hit factory you got to come up stevie wonder's coming in stevie wonder was a figurative career for him when he was in his first hit factory building uh, on, I want to say 48th street, Stevie came in and booked a big chunk of time and made an amazing album. And it kind of put Eddie on the map and got hit factory into the black. And he was a formative, formative client for Eddie Germano and the hit factory. So Eddie was like, this guy needs yes. to be taken care of. And he called me to do it. So I came up and I spent two weeks 24 hours a day at the hit factory, sleeping on the couch under a moving blanket because Stevie came in when, whenever he wanted. And when the engineer was there, the engineer was engineering, but Stevie could also show up on his own. And then I got to engineer for him and I watched him navigate these gigantic racks of synthesizers. Remember this is in the eighties. This wasn't when everything was virtual inside pro tools. You had to set up all the synths and plug in all the MIDI cables and all that stuff. And Stevie could navigate all that. It was amazing oh to watch him work. Um, also he did either two or three songs, but he was producing two artists at the time. Um, I want to say Grady Harrell was the guy singer and Tyler Collins was the female singer. So he was producing for them. And when he got the tracks together, he went out and did guide vocals and his guide vocals could raise the small hair on the back of your neck. It was amazing. He yes. is probably the most pure music in a physical body that i've ever seen in my life That's not surprised not surprised at all and yeah. i'm going to tell you this too it's a little bit showboating but i have to tell this because Do it, i worked please. really really hard and stevie liked me and at the end of the two weeks they were all getting ready to go back to la and they were real happy and there was real good vibes this is back in you know late 80s the disc man was a new thing he went out and he bought me a top-of-the-line disc man and the new Take Six record. Take Six was that acapella band that was amazing. Yes. And he, he presented that to me as a gift. And he gave me a big hug. And he said, God bless you, Rich. You have a big future in this industry. Oh! True story. I'm getting chills thinking about I it. I can tell. I am, too. 
I'm trying not to get emotional when I tell yes. you this, but that's the true story. That man hugged me, gave me this gift. I was a nobody. I was an assistant engineer. And he said, God bless you, Rich. You have a big future in this industry. Oh, man. The, that's the, better than you see all the platinum and stuff. on yes. That was better than any of this. The better. motivation that, and inspiration that must have given you at a time like that. Incredible. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So Stevie is a formative, formative yes. artist in my life. Yes. So when you're working with him, you're working with him as he's producing those two singers you mentioned, not necessarily Correct. making his own music. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Now, yeah. similarly, tell me about working with Luther Vandross because Luther? I, I bought, I had, I bought the power of love album CD when it came out. I like that right. album a lot. And, um, I think that's one of the ones you worked on, right? I believe so. I don't really remember so much from the records, but I remember working on individual songs with him. Okay. And Luther was just a wonderful, wonderful man and a, a, an amazing singer. You yeah. know those vocals that everybody like raves about that are historic performances? He didn't be, he didn't belabor them. He sang it once, maybe twice. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm done. And it was like perfect. And the first one, even when he, even though he sang it the second time, the first one sounded perfect to me anyway. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. And um, and now again, another one. Full full disclosure was that Ray Bardani, a wonderful man and super talented engineer, was his main engineer. But okay. Luther did book a few sessions where I would go in and do a vocal with him, which was really, really, really cool. Really, yes. So yeah. when you're booking these sessions, is it, sometimes it feels like this is part of. An engineer's responsibility and sometimes not. Are you the one going in there and like putting mics down? Like we need to, if it's back to Paul Simon, we need to mic this percussionist Brazilian yes. drum thing. And the mic, yes. you're in there moving the mic around saying, I'm going to get the best sound if the mic is right here, you know, six inches from the head or whatever it might be. Is that what you're doing? That was what I'm doing. I did more of that later on. At those in those situations, especially with Paul, I was learning from Roy because one of the things that Roy does best is capture a live performance. Yeah. Um, so I would watch him, and I would, you know, after he did it, then he would allow me to do it after I learned his technique. But yeah. it, and that's where I learned so much about mic placement was working with Roy and doing that. Okay, tell me about working with Debbie Gibson. I, I, I will be honest. I'm not, I'm not, I've never been a big fan of her music, but she seems like a really sweet lady. And back she, then she's like this wunderkind. She's like a 19 year old master who can write, record and produce her own music. And so I'm wondering correct. what it's like working with her at that time. All right. Let me, I'll, I'll just tell you the little story about that. She came into the hit factory with an engineer named Chris Porter, English dude, amazing guy phenomenal talent super nice guy they were mixing a video of hers he was mixing you know they recorded it multi-track and they recorded the video on bvu 800 so we locked up to the picture and he was mixing um now she wanted to work she was writing she wanted to work after he left so she said can you you know record me so i'm like sure now th that whole mix was digital so we had two analog machines in the back of the room that weren't getting used mm. so after he left for the night i would stay with debbie for hours and we would record what i thought were demos onto oh. two inch analog and um what happened was it made the record well one of them, not all of them, 
Which one? One of them made the record. It was a song called Over the Wall. I didn't know it was going to be to be on anything. I just thought it was a demo. But that actual master that I recorded made it on the record. And Debbie was cool enough to remember that I did that for her after the hours and gave me the credit by name on that record a year later. How she even remembered. I don't know if she called Hit Factory or if she knew or she wrote notes or whatever. But just because she was, was, was classy yeah. enough to remember that, I got a credit on a number one album with a number one single as an engineer when I was clearly still an assistant yes, yes. because she was she remembered that I did it and said he well Rich Travali engineered this so his yeah. name goes on the record. So that was cool. Wow. I yeah. when you say you know Debbie and I are staying behind in the studio, I mean Rich, I I would give anything to know what people smell like, people what they talk like. If they yeah. spoke too much, if they swear a lot, if they, if they, what sports teams they talk about when you're talking about like, Oh, I traveled with Paul Simon to Brazil to find musicians or whatever. I'm thinking, what do, what do Rich and Paul talk about when they're sitting next to each other on the plane in first class? You know, is it the Yankees? What do they talk about? You know, do you remember yeah. any of these sort of conversations, no matter how random they might be? Oh man, that's a hard one. I'm not. If, uh, if uh, not, it's okay. I just I'm trying. I'm just imagining. I how do, we do go remember that Paul. Paul is a big Yankee fan and he's a big fan of baseball uh -huh. in general. And I do remember him talking about sports and he was following it and he knew who was in first place and who happened to be in first place at this point last year and yeah. blah blah blah. So he was definitely a knowledgeable, avid sports fan. You know what? I and I remember realized? that being a topic. Did he? Mary Edie Brickell around this time that you were working with him? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you were you were there for their beginning with I mean That's correct. That's was correct. she yes, hanging around the studio too and coming in and out? A little bit. Not she wasn't, you know, there all the time, but she would stop in here and there. Okay. And uh also when I like I said, I put a studio in his house when he lived at uh Central Park West. Up, up, up in the penthouse house over there at 88 Central Park West. I put a studio there, so I knew her more from that. And okay. I have to tell you, Edie is the sweetest lady you're ever going to meet. And I have a little side story about that too. Apparently, yes. after they, you know, like got together and she moved in there and everything, she had a very real domestic side to her. And one time, I was working there, and she's like, "Rich, do you want lunch?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, sure, yeah." She's like, I, "I made my first turkey. She had made her first big turkey. I don't remember if it was around a holiday or not." And she was very proud of it. 
And she brought me into the kitchen and served me a nice plate of turkey. And I was like, here's this amazing woman that oh. also happens to be a rock star. Just had a number one hit eight months ago. Married a, like a classic rock icon. Yes. <laughs> and here she is cutting me off a piece of turkey that she's excited that she cooked. Oh, my gosh, Rich. <laughs> Rich. I just want to be like a parrot propped on your shoulder for all of this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, that was Oh, it was amazing. She's she's a very very sweet lady and an incredible talent. Incredible talent. Seems that way. Seems that way. Uh, if it's not too insensitive to ask this, can you think of one of the more demanding things that Paul wanted you to do that would have been difficult to achieve, or maybe you didn't get to, you didn't do it, or something? Do you remember a particularly difficult or tense experience? Uh, you, you know, the only thing I don't want to, I don't want to cast any negative pallor on my time with Paul because it was overwhelmingly positive. It made me the engineer I was, sure. and it was an experience that most people on the planet don't get. Yes. Um, was he difficult? Yes, he was. The thing was this, if there was anything that kind of is in that ballpark that you're talking about when we're on sessions we got a room full of crazy players half of them don't speak english i'm trying to get all that stuff together i'm also remember i'm not just in the back of the room taking notes i'm running the tape machine so i'm trying to keep keyed into what roy and paul want so i can do all the punches right and everything if something goes wrong i now have to fix what somebody's amp is buzzing or something like that now i gotta run out there Fix that in like 10 seconds, one back in and do like a superstar job. Yes. And um, sometimes it was frustrating in that. All right, we need an amplifier, right? So now I had to like jump up from the tape machine, call the front desk, please call SIR, get us a, a, a Roland JC120. Yeah. Please get it here as quickly as you can. Boom. Like, you know, then, then I get back to work and then he'd like turn to me 20 minutes later, where's that amp? Like with a scowl on his face. Yeah, of like, course. Paul, you see me behind you yes. working my ass off. I, I I don't know. There's only one of me, man. I'm trying so hard, but there's only one of me. You know what I mean? Fascinating. That kind of stuff went on, and that see. was hard, but I, I just dealt with it as best I could. Well, and I think he would, uh, he would, I'm sure, admit to and confirm everything you're saying because he's not – how else did he become Paul Simon than to be – he has the right and a license to – act that way when the time is, you know, when it, when it demands it, he, of right. course, because he's one of the greatest ever. Okay. I might think about some others from back in this period, but let's start to transition to, because eventually you become this like hip hop mastermind, which is kind of blowing me away. It looks as if one of the first steps toward becoming that guy is working with heavy D. Am I right about that? He working with heavy D was one of the first steps toward that and it was a phenomenal experience Hev, god rest his soul yes. was another super nice guy and i just loved being in the room with him um that was certainly my introduction to it and how i fell in love with hip-hop was not just working with him but he had a uh, Tony Dofat produced a lot of tracks for with him, and I did a lot of one on work one on one work with him, where I kind of le learned what the sounds were, and I kind of because I was a rock kid, I was a I was a white kid from the Jersey Shore. Hip hop became my second love, but it was a true love, and yeah. it was developed yes through the days with Heavy D and with predominantly Tony Dofat producing. That was really getting me into it, but. Oh, and there's another, they, he also, Heavy D made a great introduction to me too. Don't let me forget this because I don't want to come back okay. to it. But 
who really put me on in hip hop was Puff Daddy. Did he yep. now? There is absolutely no getting around the fact that Puff made me known as uh, you know, uh, like like an engineer to be dealt with in the hip hop world. And yep. the reason that was is because when I was doing work. Uh, you know, doing all those sessions that I was doing at Hit Factory and at Chunk King and at Soundtrack and all these places, I was a tracking engineer. I had their respect because I was really good and I got good sounds on tape and we moved fast and everything. But Puff was, the, I got used to when I finished getting all the vocals on tape and the track was recorded and now the vocals were recorded, I was used to handing it off to one of the first generation guys to have it mixed. Puff was the first guy to say to me, no, you mix it. Instead, because I was ready to like roll up the tape, put it in the box, and send it downstairs to like one of the other guys who was already yeah. like a generation ahead of me and was known for mixing. And he was like, no, 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 sit back down. You're mixing this. The first song that he told me to do that was with was Big Papa by Notorious Big. For all the ladies in the place with style and grace, allow me to lace these lyrical dishes in your bushes. Uh, Who rock grooves and make moves with all the mommies? The, the back, back of the club, club. sipping my wet is where you find me. What? The back of the club, macking holes, my crew's behind me. Uh, Mad question asking, blunt passing, music lasting. But I just can't quit because one of these honeys Biggie got to creep with, sleep with, keep the epic secret. Why not? Why blow up my spot? Because we both got hot. Now check it. I got more Mac than Craig and in the bed. Believe me, sweetie, I got enough to feed the needy. No need to be greedy. I got mad friends with Benzes. See notes by the layers. True fucking players. Jump in the Rover and come over. Tell your friends. Jump in the GS3. I got the chronic by the truth. I love it when you call me Big Throw your hands in the air if you're a true player. To the honeys getting money, playing niggas like dummies. You got a gun up in your waist, please don't shoot up the place. Cause I see some ladies tonight that should be having my baby back. Number one hit record, hip hop classic. Yes. Put me on. There is no getting around that. <laughs> literally I, I thought i thought i was going to hand it off and watch somebody else mix it and get all yes. the glory and he said no you you mix it and bang and that record blew up huge and then i was a mixer after that i was i was no i was a known and respected engineer uh-huh. now i'm a known and respected mixer and that's where things really took off okay so i have a lot of questions about this first and foremost and are you in the room while like biggie is in there doing verses or Absolutely. You take, I knew Big. You are. He, we, I'm not going to tell some story because he's not around to say yes or uh-huh. no, but Big and I got along. I knew him. He was cool with me. I was cool with him. I can remember him freestyling uh, verses together out on the mic where I was just like punching in after his last good line and punching in. And oh my God, it was so hectic. But yes. we worked together and we did that because he didn't even have a pad. At, he, don't get me wrong. He would write. But like there right. was a couple of times when he was inspired and he went out there and he didn't have stuff written down. Oh. And we and he would like he would like rhyme and rhyme and rhyme until oh, he screwed up or he didn't, couldn't think of anything. Yeah. And then we'd roll back and I would play a couple of bars and punch in and he would keep keep going. Um, but I guess there's, that's that's just me elaborating on it. The no, short no, no, that's is, what I yes, want to know because massive, massive experience one on one with Big and with all the other artists at that time period too in the room because I wasn't just a featured mixer at that time. Later right. years, I mixed entire albums without even meeting the artist. Right. But back then, 
I was tracking them and then mixing after okay. the fact. And that's what, that's the part I wanted to clarify because, and again, this came up with Shelly too. Sometimes he's in the room working with them and sometimes he's not. And that's, that comes up a lot with other people. You talking about Biggie, not even having his stuff written down. Jay-Z to my understanding is like that too. It's all, he's got it all memorized in his head. He doesn't write anything down and you've worked with Jay-Z too. Is that true? That is true. But to see, the thing is I worked with Jay-Z. I remember tracking him maybe once or twice, and I don't remember too much about it, but it was more, I mixed Jay-Z because uh, uh, the Neptunes, Pharrell and Chad, oh, were sure. doing tracks on his record, and they liked me, and they wanted yeah. me to mix that stuff. Okay. It wasn't Jay-Z calling for me. It was it. the producers, Pharrell and Chad, calling me Got to mix it. that stuff. Okay. Got yeah. it. I mean... <sighs> This and again, this might be an insensitive question, but I feel like I should ask. I mean, when when Biggie comes in to record and he's in the you touched on this a minute ago, is there a what kind of element is in the studio with you? I'm imagining an entourage of about 12 people and and everyone's smoking weed and uh everyone's got their girlfriends and uh maybe guns are in their pockets and stuff that's what i'm imagining maybe i'm projecting or i'm being you know unfair but that's kind of what i'm imagining the element is that's also in the room uh that there's a there's some accuracy to that but it was it was certainly not all the time and the other thing is this certainly you get a group of these guys there's going to be some mean mugging and some fronting and stuff like that. But what yeah. happened was because I gained Biggs trust and because Puff liked me and I, and they could tell I was true to the music. I really cared and I wanted it yeah. to be great. I won a lot of these guys over. So everybody was nice to me because they liked me and I liked yeah. them. Yeah. So I didn't see it as a room full of thugs. Okay. And I know okay. that they lived in the bad section out in Brooklyn sure. and stuff like that. And, you know, and everything, but I didn't see it as a threatening thing as okay. time went by. Cause I was, I worked with these guys for years. Yeah. Um, you know, I started to know everybody and it was, you know, and it was all cool. It was all good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay. Okay. So, yeah, I'm just curious, fun. you know, uh, what the, what the room feels like. I got to ask too, uh, did you stay, are you close enough to puff that you ever went to one of his parties? Because apparently no. he's like a legendary party thrower. Oh yeah, no, I would have loved to, and I never have. And but but I will tell you this, you know, I was with Puff for a few years, and um, I got pulled away because I started doing a lot of work with the Trackmasters, and that was the other Heavy D connection that I wanted to say. Heavy introduced me to the Trackmasters, so I kind of pulled away, and I went with them, and then I went, you know, to different artists, to different artists. Years later, I hadn't seen Puff in the longest time. Years later, I'm at um, Right Track, and I'm mixing a Robin Thicke record uh maybe 2010 something 2012 at the latest something like that and i hadn't seen puff in years now robin knows puff so puff comes in to visit him has no idea i'm there i hadn't seen him in so long he gives me the hugest hey he gives me a hug how you doing man nice. like in front of robin giving me yes. more and more credibility with robin Good. Because because Puff is like giving me a big hug. Yes. How you doing, man? He oh he goes Rob. Yeah, you got the best guy. Blah blah blah. You know, yes. all, it was just it was amazing yes. that Puff showed that you know that he would not only did he remember me, but he was so cool to like. Say, he didn't have to do that, you know what yes. I mean? But he yes. did that. He, he you know he he showed 
affection toward me and gratitude. And it just, it made me feel real good that he did that. I thought it that was, is it was very huge. cool. That would make me feel good too. Again, going back kind of like the Stevie wonder thing, just getting that yes. kind of validation from incredible yeah. artists has to feel good. Right, right. So let's talk about, uh, Robin for a minute. You mentioned him as well. When we were emailing, I'll be honest. I, he, I've always just had a bad feeling about Robin, probably because of the Paula Patton stuff from back in the day. I, but he has hits and sex therapy is a really good song. I like that song a lot. And I mix that, yeah. That's what you, yes. And you worked with him enough that I'm sure that you could tell me why I should like Robin Thicke and not be skeptical of Robin Thicke. All right, let's, uh, let me just get to, you know, what happened with him and Paula was, was a tragic mistake. He, and he knew he made a mistake after he did it. He, look, he grew up in Hollywood. He had a silver spoon in his mouth. Um, he made that mistake out of arrogance. And I think he realized after the fact uh, what it was. But I'll tell you this, that dude is a sweetheart of a man Good. and an incredible talent not just as a singer, as a writer, he can play piano, he can play guitar. Um, I, 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 I'm a huge fan of his. He, for years, I mean, we worked, we did a lot of records together over a long time. And every once in a blue moon, he still gets in, co in contact with me. And if it's something he thinks is appropriate, I'll, I'll, I'll do a mix for him. I haven't that done one lately, great. but he'll like send me a Christmas gift. Or, he's nice. just, he, he's, I, I find Robin, to be a wonderful, classy man. Did he make that mistake? Yes, he did. He's sorry. Give him that break. You know what I mean? None of us are perfect, but um, he's 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 a. I'm very very proud to okay. to be an, to have worked with an artist of that stature, and I'm proud of my association with Robin um, because some of that work was some of that work is the pr some of the proudest work I've ever done. I believe it. Were some of it. my records with Robin? I believe it. Um, okay. Let's talk about Nelly because, I mean, we've talked about things like Big Papa are still ubiquitous today, but like Hot in Here is right. otherworldly.
how did you get acquainted with Nelly? Is this another Puff connection? Interestingly not, no. What happened was this. I didn't know Nelly. I had no idea he existed. But there was a guy, Kuda, who was managing. Kuda was out of Puff's camp. And Kuda suggested for me to mix that record. They started with somebody else and weren't happy with it. And I got a phone call from Kevin Law, who was the VP of A&R at Universal, but also was executive producer and actively producing the Nelly record. Like he was in the studio with him, getting vocals out of him and stuff like that. Kevin called me, said, hey, I've got this thing. You know, I want, you know, I want you to come listen to it, you know, think about mixing this so i go meet him at the studio he starts playing me stuff i was playing it cool but it was blowing my mind i'm like oh my god this thing is a freaking smash just song after song so hooky and so cool and that was the country grammar record i said yes we mixed that record boom eight million in record sales i got the plaque for it right over there um number one's out the wazoo we and i ended up mixing five full nelly albums in a row also these the lunatics uh group record i mixed uh-huh. also murphy lee's solo record i mixed and also big uh big lee's record i mixed i mean okay. it was it was like a cottage industry for me yes. for years just 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 servicing nelly and the nelly people all through uh my friend ultimately my friend kevin law who we met through Amazing. kuda suggesting to him that I mixed the record, him calling me, we became friends. So isn't Nelly from St. Louis? Do I have that yes. right? And yes. Because when it felt like that was sort of when regional hip hop was really starting to take shape, there was Houston was a hotbed for a while. There was the dirty South. He yep. was sort of yep. shining a light on St. Louis. These yep. other acts that you talk about, is everyone coming to you up at the hit factory or are you going down to St. Louis and using the, the studios and resources available down there in their hometowns make, to make music? No, they all came up to New York. We did all those records in okay. New York, but we also did some mixing in LA as well. Okay. On, this, on okay. the Nellyville album, we did some mixing in LA as well. Okay. Okay. Something yeah. I was curious about too, when so much, I mean, we, we started this conversation talking about bands or artists who are, there are live musicians in the room playing the instruments that you hear, like on the Rhythm of the Saints album. Hip hop is more of a, to me anyway, a studio driven format. It's sampling, it's tweaking knobs. It's not, there's not as many, you know, there's not necessarily a guitarist or a drummer or a band in a studio playing the licks live that you've got to mix in and match. Uh, That's my understanding. Do you approach making hip hop differently than you would mixing a Paul Simon record? You know, that's a really good question because so much of what I do happens intuitively. I've been at it for a long time and I've learned from some of the greats, not just Roy. I've learned from other greats too. It was one of the benefits of being at the hit factory and I kind of absorbed it all and digested it and took the good parts and kind of made it part of what I do. But I very rarely think I, I just do. It's not an intellectual process. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I kind of understand immediately that if you're doing something for Paul, you're not going to have 
a big, dirty, grimy low end on it. But you might want a little bit of that. You might want a little bit of that, too, because you want to be contemporary. And, and Paul would want to feel, you know, yeah. like um, e- e- relevant today, sonically. You know what right, I mean? Right. That makes but, sense. Um, I think that I have all those techniques at my fingertips and I kind of make an intuitive judgment as to what's appropriate as I react to the song because I never show up at the studio knowing what I'm going to do before I do it. I react to the music every day to the point where if you gave me a song on one day and I mixed it and two weeks later gave it to me again in another room and I did another mix, it might sound completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, yes. I will admit that I'm not a machine. I'm not stamping parts. It's not a factory. I'm I'm re- I'm, re- I'm responding it. to the music and it goes in the direction it goes. And yes. usually that 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 usually becomes a very like a really, you know, engaging thing. You know what yes. I mean? So So let's talk for a minute then about like getting jiggy with it. Just can't sit, gotta get jiggy with it. That's it, the honey, honey, come ride. DKNY, all up in my eyes. You gotta ride a bag with a lot of stuff in it. Give it to your friend, let's spin. Everybody looking at me, glancing a kid. Wishing they was dancing a jig here with this handsome kid. Sick a cigar right from Cuba Cuba. I just bite it, just for the look. I don't light it. It'll weigh the ammo on the hand, stay all play. Give it up, jiggy, make it feel like four play. Yo, my cardio is infinite. <laughs> Big Willie Styles all in it. Getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy with it. What? You on the ball with your kid? Watch your step. You might fall trying to do what I did. Mama, 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 come close in the middle of the club. Because um, when you are mixing that song, there are a number of different samples inc- involved, included like Sister Sledge is in there. And um, yep. Can't remember the other one. Uh, anyway, so Sister Sledge, is it when I don't know enough about what a mixer does? Do you have. 24 tracks and one of them is the sister sledge sample and one of them is will's rap and another one is augmented instrumentation from other musicians or something like that and you're right. weaving them together to so that the levels are right so that one is coming in and punching in and punching down at the right time am i explaining this correctly yes yes i mean that that, that that's 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 a good rough approximation okay. of it um what what you I'm have is you have the sample. I don't sample. know what I'm saying, but it, it's, it the that's clash sample? Was 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 that the clash sample? On getting jiggy? No, it wasn't. It there was, was another um, the bar. He's the greatest from Sister Sledge. He's the greatest dancer from Sister Sledge and right. sang and danced by the Barquets. That's the one I was trying okay. to remember. All right, yes. So you have those samples, and then you have drums augmenting that beat, so you can get the fat hip hop beat. Uh, I don't remember well enough to say like what kind of bass was on the track or was the element of bass part of the sample, but I remember vividly there being like a stand-up um, piano sound that I distorted and Ooh. mixed in. It seemed to work better that way. Um, See, just okay. Let me stop you right there because just this is something I find fascinating. Your decision to distort a piano line is part of what makes the song what it is. And this is like a flash of genius. This is why you are you, Rich, because 
without those without those little decisions of I'm going to just distort this piano line and see what happens. Songs aren't always elevated, and they become elevated by the little details like that that you do that no one else thought to do except you. You know what I mean? Yes, I mean, and I don't, and it's funny too, because I don't go in looking for that. I go in looking to to do my job, to mix the song. Sure. You know what I mean? Of course. And and of course you hope that happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. And don't get me wrong now, I'm not trying to take all the credit too, because you know, that song was produced by the track masters. And what happens is the process is. I'm, you know, I'm working, I'm working all day, I'm getting the mix up. When I get it to the point where I'm happy, then those guys come in and then they listen and they might do drops where you take drums out for a few seconds or instruments out and create those dynamic sections. And that can also then all of a sudden, you know, stimulate me to say, oh, cool. When that crashed back in, it wasn't loud enough. So let's boot, you know, bump this up here and there. And, you know, so we feed off each other. The producers are an integral part of the mix as well. You know what I mean? We're, yeah. we're teammates on this thing, pushing pushing this song toward the goal line. We're yes. trying to get it in the end zone. Now, tell me what it was like working with Will. I mean, as you, as everyone knows, he's had a rough couple of years. Um, yes. But he, his persona, I feel like, was built on the fact that he seemed like a really nice, approachable guy. Back when he was the Fresh Prince, whether the Fresh Prince the rapper or the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. On the show. He seemed approachable and likable, and that's what made him a huge movie star. And was that your experience working with Will? Yes. And the funny thing about it is, is yes, he really was that. He was super cool and funny and charismatic. And I don't remember him getting mad or being, being a jerk in any way. And also, if you think about it, he had the ability to be that like nobody else. He had two summer blockbusters in a row. With yeah. Men in Black and Independence Day, um, he had the hit TV show. Now he's got a number one record. Like this guy was killing it on all fronts. Hottest guy, but in the he, planet he, there he for did a while. not. He he did not behave like that in any way. He really yeah. didn't. I'm so. imagining the vibe in the room with him is very different what the, than what the vibe in the room might have been around Bicky. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Um, okay, speaking of people who have had careers similarly to Will, you worked with LL Cool J, who yes. to me is a, a, the legend of all of the people we've been talking about. And you no worked doubt. on Hey Lover, which I love that song. It was Harlem at the Ruckers. Yeah. I saw you with your man, smiling, huh? A coach bag in your hand. I was laying in the coop with my hat turned back. We caught eyes for a moment. And that was that, so we skated off as you strolled off, looking at them legs, goddamn, they look so soft. I gotta take you from your man, that's my mission. If his lovers really got the handle competition, you only knew in five months. Besides, he drink too much and smoke too many blunts. And I be working out every day thinking about you, looking at my own eyes in the rear view. Catching flashbacks of our eye contact. Wish I could lay you on your stomach and caress your back. I would hold you in my arms and ease your fears. I can't believe it. I ain't had a crush in years. Hey, love. Yeah. 
every day. Your man must think it's safe for you to travel. Yeah, tell me about working with LL because he seems like the most charming guy in the world. LL is an amazing guy. Um, working with him was very, very cool. What we did was how I got involved with Will was he had a manager uh, named Chris Lighty. He passed, God rest his soul. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful guy. And he uh, got the track masters to produce uh, the record. Oh, I'm blanking on it. Oh, I'm blanking on the name of the Mr. album. Smith? Oh. That's the name of the Mr. Oh, Smith. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. yeah. And so the, so the mixes for all that fell into my lap. So I met, you know, LL through that stuff and the mixes came together really good. And he was really, really happy. And he continued then to call me. He brought me out to LA to do work with him on other stuff. And then when the next record came around phenomenon, I was mixing on that one as well. LL was just another like super energetic, charismatic guy, amazing rapper. I mean, let's yes. just, this, this is this is one of the classic, oh, yeah. classic top ten guys. all time. Yes, and yeah, yeah. I I, I don't yeah. know what to say other than that. I mean, he, this okay. is just another, just a dynamo, okay. just a creative dynamo in the room. Uh, when it, I would imagine with him, um, there's like buckets of champagne throughout the studio. You know, the, he doesn't seem like a super partier necessarily. And he also, he never, he doesn't seem like a thug or anything, but he seems like he just wants to have a good time and be in a, have a good environment. And so there's probably like buckets of champagne and uh, maybe some good music playing. I, and maybe his wife's there. I don't know. But tell me about what the environment might've been like working with LL. That environment, LL was, was really just, LL just brought LL. Okay. Um, it was kind of because when he came in, it was, you know, again, through the track masters being the producers and we worked in the room, which I loved, which was studio a at the old hit factory. Uh -huh. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Although one, although Mr. Smith was a chunking, let me get this straight. Okay. There's so much okay. stuff that blurs together, of course. but it was really, I didn't see really too much of that champagne or anything like that. It was a little bit more, not necessarily all business in a serious way, right. but it wasn't about partying or That's cool. conspicuous consumption or showing off or anything yes. like that. That's cool. You know? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. We got, let's get negative for a second. We've been celebrating so much of your career. There's one person I, I want to talk, talk about, and that's R. Kelly. Um, extremely po problematic person, but do you have any stories or Remembrances of your experience working with R. Kelly. Um, I did work with 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 R. Kelly. Um, I mixed a bunch of stuff where he wasn't even there because I mixed okay. it with the track masters who had produced it. Okay. But we did. There were a few sessions where Robert attended, and I even recorded some vocals with him a little bit too. Mm. There was nothing that even hinted at what ultimately came out. There was nothing like that going on at all. Okay. I didn't really. I didn't really know him very well at all you know what i mean okay. he was more talking to you know like a uh, poke and tone were the producers the track messages okay. on that he didn't really do too much interaction with me in the limited time that i actually was in the room okay. with him um so yeah, he didn't thankfully, bring like three or four year old teenage girls with him no, no, no nothing nothing like that okay. i saw nothing like that whatsoever no okay it was him and he had a personal assistant and they were in either to like listen to the mix or to do a couple of vocals and and, and get out of there mm -hmm. okay and, and I'm happy about that too. So good. Yes. That, that makes you innocent by all means. 
Did you happen to work on the song I Wish? Do you remember I that did song? work on the song I Wish. I don't know that it was my mix that ultimately came out. Okay. Because I know he had multiple pe- people mixing it, but I did one of the versions. I did. Okay. That's the only R. Kelly song that I still like and will allow myself to listen to, but I was just curious about that. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's talk about... You did independent women with woman with Destiny's Child, right? Correct. Yes. Oh my god. Question, tell me what you think about me. I bought my own diamonds and I buy my own rings. Only ring your celly when I'm feeling lonely. When it's all over, please get up and leave. Question, tell me how you feel about this. Try to control me, boy, you get dismissed. Pay my own funnel and I pay my own bills. Always 50-50 in relationships. The shoes on my feet, I buy. The clothes I'm wearing, I buy. The rock I'm rocking, I buy. Cause I depend on me if I want it. The watch I'm wearing, I buy. The house I live in, I buy. The car I'm driving, I buy. I depend on me. I depend on me. And this is before Beyonce becomes Beyonce. So tell us about this. All right. I didn't. They were not involved at all. Here's a funny story about that. I mixed that song uh, pretty much by myself. Really? It was produced by Trackmasters and Corey Rooney, if I know correctly. And I hope I'm not wrong because I'm saying these names. But I'm pretty sure that those guys did the production. And I got a call to go over to the Hit Factory and do the mix. And I got there and nobody was there. So I just did, I just banged out the mix as good as I could and said, all right, you know, like, let's see what happens. And nobody, it didn't kick back. Everybody liked it. It got released. Boom. Eight weeks at number one mega hit record. So, um, okay, Rich, let's, let's something that I try to talk about very sensitively on here is the business side of things. And your production work has sold over 150 million records. That's correct. We've talked yes. about some of the biggest R&B rap hits of the last 30 years, just in this conversation. Your mailbox money, I'm guessing, is pretty good. My mailbox money is only okay because I did it mostly as work for hire. Okay. Oh, I, get, I, I would get a fee per mix or per album. Um, okay. I only had royalties on a few things. Okay. Okay, I wondered about that and how that works. So when you are able, I'm guessing if you're not the employee of the Hit Factory and you're independent, you can negotiate for yourself maybe a point or something on some of these things. And that's what brings in the mailbox money? Correct. That's correct, yes. And uh, now, see, the thing is this. For a long time, I was negotiating that point on stuff. But what happens is you have to be careful about which ones you negotiate on because, for example, if you mix a single, You'll get X amount of dollars to do that single. If you want a contract on it for a point on that, now I have to pay my lawyer to execute the paperwork. And if I'm mixing a whole album, that's a big chunk of money. That lawyer fee can be absorbed pretty easily without feeling it. But if you're mixing a single, that's only one song you're mixing. 
you might end up giving half of that money to the lawyer to execute a contract on it. And if the single doesn't do well, yes. that's money that's gone that you're never going to see. You know what I mean? Wow. I and have singles, never heard anyone describe it that way before. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes, okay. it's absolutely true. And, um, and I did have significant success um, with uh, mailbox money on, um, on a, big, uh, a, a big LP, or actually two. But, you know, there, the majority of the contracts that I signed did not pay off in the long run. Because remember, all the money you got your fee per mix, yeah. that's recuperable yeah. money. So before you see a dollar out of the royalties, you have to make back all of those thousands and thousands of right. dollars that you got paid to do yes. the record. So the record has to be a significant hit before you start getting checks. Fascinating. Because you already okay. got your front end. Okay. I'm going to ask you two brutally honest pointed questions then, and you tell me to go to hell if you don't want to answer them. One, what's your biggest moneymaker? And two, what would have been your biggest moneymaker if you had signed the contract that you just were talking about? Is there a song that you regret having not gone through this process on? Oh, man, that's an interesting question because the, the one that, you know what the funny thing is this, the one that I made money on was the Nellyville album, and it was possibly the biggest one I ever did. It sold 8 million copies. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, so okay. that's actually like one answer. There, was, there yes. was other stuff. I would have loved to have had the point on the, the country grammar record before that because that okay. was no slouch at 7 million. You know what yeah. I mean? But, yeah. So, so you, so like, do you have a point on getting jiggy with it? No, that was all no. just work for hire. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Wow. I, cause I read somewhere, some article of yours where maybe it's on your website. If I remember correctly, you like to come into work and then leave and then go boating on your boat. Yes. No, no, no. In my 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 peak years were very very good to me i had a lifestyle at the time that uh that was really really wonderful and i'm grateful to have had it things sure. are, you know things the industry has contracted a lot that's not the way i live anymore sure. but yeah, yeah i was i'm very very grateful and blessed to have had those years that i had and i still love boating but i'm never going to okay. have a 38 foot custom speedboat again <laughs> that's great plus all the pictures i see of you you're totally jacked and so i'm imagining you <laughs> getting up at five and like pumping iron really you know for hours in the morning then going you know you're you got a towel you're you you run to the studio maybe you're jogging to the studio and you get into the studio with your trip with your gym clothes on just a minute everybody i gotta go take a shower real quick you know you come out with like a white towel wrapped around your neck that kind of thing like that's rich trevally during the peak of his career now it's interesting that you say that and thank you very much for the compliment because i'm a 60 year old man and i'm not the average 60 year old man i'm in shape and but it's not from lifting weights i do brazilian jiu-jitsu i'm a martial oh, artist okay and i've been doing it for 14 years and i haven't lifted a weight in more than 14 years because i boxed for two years before that and uh -huh. i didn't wait lift weights when i was boxing because i didn't want to slow down i don't know if that's uh -huh. a myth or not so right. i haven't lifted a weight in 16 years any muscle tone and muscle mass that i have is from grappling it's from jujitsu it's all from fighting young guys that want to tear my head off and break my arms wow. good for you rich yeah. that is intense and, uh, 
And as long as we're on that subject, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be a a relentless bragger and tell you, I am a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was going to ask, good for you. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge, a huge, huge accomplishment for me. I'm very, very proud of it. And I'm super, super grateful for all the guys I've trained with and my professors, um, who, who taught me all this stuff, but it's, it's outside of the music industry. It's, it's my biggest and proudest accomplishment is getting the black belt in jujitsu. Good for you, man. Good for you. Now we were touching on this earlier. You've recently moved from New York to Nashville. Do correct. Are you able to, I don't know how long you've been there, but have you found a good, is it called a dojo for jujitsu? Have you found a good place to do it and continue the way you had been? Yes, I'm at a place called Perfectus. Uh, the guys are really, really nice. I've been there for a little over a month. It's starting to feel more and more like home. As, as the guys open up more to me and I open up more to them, I'm finding friends and I'm feeling more and more comfortable there all the time. Okay. So, yeah, and that's it- critically important to me because, you know, jujitsu is not just my, um, you know, my workout and my, my uh, physical health. It's my mental health as well. That's my therapy. You know, that's getting what I was going to ask because it feels like uh, martial arts like that are almost more of a spiritual practice in so many ways. You know what I mean? It's yes. mind, body, and soul. It's not just like I'm going to exercise. And I'm curious if it informs your work or how it informs your daily life in a way beyond just staying in shape. What, when you say the mental health part, what is, you know, define that for me, explain it to me. Uh, the, 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 what it does for me is it dissipates stress and anxiety and it's a place where I can go and be 100% in the here and now, yeah. you know, for a couple of hours which is really, really important for a guy like me who's like, I'm always thinking about the future and what, what I need to do tomorrow and blah, 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 you know, and all that stuff. Yep. When I can be 100% present, it's a huge, huge uh, dissipation of stress and anxiety. And it allows me to recharge my batteries and feel good and get a good night's sleep yes. and go to work with a clear head. And, you know, and, 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 and it makes me better able to do anything whether it's interacting with other people or dealing with a traffic jam on the road or a complicated mix or anything like that it's just helpful in all of those situations that's great that's great what about you personally i mean are you married do you have kids did you what's the story the story is this um i was married i was with a woman for 16 years married for six of it we literally just divorced less than a year ago. This is very oh. new for me. It's, okay. um, I'm not going to get too into sure. you know, the negative side of that, but it, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a heart wrenching thing that happened. Yeah. I, I wasn't treated fairly, but I'm bouncing back. Part of my Good. move to Nashville was, you know, I was with her for so many years in Jersey, striking distance yeah. to New York yeah. In the end of that relationship, the silver lining was okay. Now I can concentrate on me. That's why I moved to Nashville was to I get a hundred percent back into the industry and be where the records are being made. Yes. That, um, yeah. So that was yeah. that I was very, very much into being a married man. And I, 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 I identified as that and defined myself as that for a while. It yeah. didn't work out that way for me. Yeah. What, you know, what happened, happened. 
um, trying not to place too much blame. And I know that I'm 50% of that equation, but yeah, unfortunately I got divorced and I'm, I'm healing and moving on and it's not always easy, but I'm going to continue doing it. Good for you. And it happens to everybody. And I wondered how the move to Nashville either was affecting your wife and family or might have been because of an ex-wife and family. And it sounds like that's what it was. Um, Yes. Okay. At Did least not off the top of my Nas? head. What about Nas? I'm sorry? Nas? Oh, Nas, of course, yeah. You Did you um, do Illmatic? I did not do That was the first okay. one. Yes. I, I did I Am. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Don't hate me. Hate the money I see. Clothes that I buy, ice that I wear, flows that I try, close your eyes, picture me rolling, sixes, money falling, chicken, honeys that swollen, the riches, knives get in ya, most critically acclaimed Pulitzer, prize winner, best storyteller, thug narrator, my style's greater, model data, big threat to a lot of you haters, commentators, ringside try, watching my paper, almost a decade, quite impressive, most of the best is in the S's, for this rap stuff, that I stand for, expanding more to the big screen, Bill Gates dreams, but it seems you'd rather see me in jail with state dreams, Want me off the scene fast, but good things last. Like your favorite MC, still making some mean cast. First rapper to bring a platinum black back to the projects, but you still wanna hate? Be my guest, I suggest. It was written and Nostradamus and not the full records, but a healthy chunk of each one because uh, uh, a lot of the stuff that the track masters produced, I mixed. And those were phenomenal records. And Nas has my total, total respect as a person and as a rapper. He's amazing. Yes. Wow. I feel like sometimes he... He gets forgotten about in some ways unfairly because Illmatic was such, is one of the greatest debuts in hip hop history that everyone right. else is like, everyone's like, well, this album's not quite like Illmatic. And so he doesn't quite get the, the, the credit he deserves for being consistently great. Yes. He all came the, out of the, the yep. out of the gate with a masterpiece, but there are other fantastic albums in there, you know? Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Nas, I'm glad you mentioned Nas. Nas uh, is a phenomenal, formative guy on my career. I'm very proud of my work with him. And um, as far as my opinion of him, I have massive, massive respect for him as a guy and as an artist. Okay, great. This is another obscure one. I think you worked with Soul For Real. Did you do Candy Rain? I recorded Candy Rain. I didn't mix Candy Rain. Okay. I but I recorded song. that whole album. I still love Candy Rain uh, to this day. That's such a great song. I might play oh, that song. as the outro song on this. Um, ah, okay. Cool. One other thing. Um, maybe there's a story here. Maybe there's not. But I think on your website, you mentioned something about Billy Joel. Did you? What's your Billy Joel story? My Billy Joel story is this. Um, he was working at the Hit Factory on an album called Stormfront. Uh-huh. And the engineer was a guy named Jay Healy, staff okay. guy, really, really good engineer, very good guy. Um, he couldn't make a day for the session, so I was assigned to engineer for Billy. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. And on that day, he came in and he played the piano solo on a song called I Go to Extremes. Yes, it's an awesome song, song with a great piano solo. And I got a legit engineering credit on a Billy Joel classic because of that. But I, I recorded I recorded Billy playing the piano solo on I Go to Extremes. I love that song. That's one of my favorite songs yeah. on that album. That song, yeah, that album great. came out when I was in high school. And it's one of those ones where I had the tape. And it never left my car, like my entire, yep. you know, senior yep. year in high school or whatever it was. That right. was so great. Right. Um, okay. Again, if, if you think of something or I think of something, maybe we'll hop back on before this uh, comes out. But Rich, I just, your, your career has so many fa- fascinating layers to it. To, to start where we started with people like Patti Smith and then... Paul Simon, of all people, and then to to be at the peak of all the best, biggest hits that are coming out of R&B and, and rap in the 90s and early 2000s, that you're the guy they go to for that kind of stuff. What a career. It's amazing everything you've experienced. Well, thank you so much for saying that. I've been, uh, I've been very, very lucky, and I'm very, very grateful and appreciative. And I do think, though, I tried really, really hard. And for the most part, I'm very happy with what I did. Yes, you should be. So many classics. I mean, we haven't even touched on all the classics we could have just in this conversation. So anyway, thank you, Rich, again for chatting with me. I, uh, John, like thank I said, you so much for having me, man. It's a pleasure to meet you and pleasure to talk to you. You too. I appreciate it so much. All right, there you have it, Rich Trevally. I, uh, I thought that was so interesting. Plus, he's just such a nice man. But just to be able to hear the stories about... Notorious B.I.G. and uh, Robin Thicke and even R. Kelly, as bad a horrible human being as he is, knowing that Rich was in the room with these people just makes it so interesting to me. I love it. I said in there I want to close it out with Candy Rain, Soul For Real. I love this song still to this day, and Rich worked on it. Thanks, Rich, for chatting. Now, next week... We go back to the 80s, a cultural icon might be a strong word, more of a cult figure, but their their uh, image lives on still today. Well-known, um, very tied to like the fashion and the culture of the 80s, and their music fit into all of that. I'm not explaining it very well, but that's because I'm trying to keep it a secret. Anyway, that's what's coming up next week. Huge thanks, of, of course, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for everything. Uh, folks, you guys can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on X, Twitter, sort of, a little bit, at The Hustle Pod. Um, I have, hopefully, Yan's uh, schedule will allow this. We've got a gigantic deep dive that probably should be out this week because we need it to come out in order to promote the deluxe version of this particular album that's coming out soon. And then we also have a book club. So uh, look probably for something coming this weekend. I hope so. Anyway, thanks folks. We love you.